It's time to kick off season two of the Beat the Often Path podcast with my guest, Dror Tamir. On this podcast, we showcase unusual success stories because unusual times, well, they call for unusual success stories. And as you know, we're living in some very unusual times right about now. My guest today has a truly fascinating story. He's created the world's first commercial grasshopper farm to use grasshoppers as a sustainable form of protein. He says that grasshoppers can actually be much more sustainable than many vegan or vegetarian protein options, and they're leaps and bounds better for the planet than traditional sources of meat and or protein. Rather than just think about this concept, he went out and built his very own company in Israel, and now his concept is taking off around the world. I'm so excited to present my next guest, founder of Hargol Food Tech, Dror Tamir. Dror Tamir, I know I'm butchering that. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you feeling? Hi, Ross. It's my pleasure uh, to be here. It's late night. It's uh, finally some uh, a rainy winter day here in Israel. Okay, and we are 10 hours apart in time right now. Isn't that correct? Late night for you, exactly. early morning for me. Well, uh, for those of you listening at home, Drawer has a company called Hargol Food tech. And the interesting point about this company is, drum roll please, what? We are the first one in the world to produce grasshopper protein on a commercial scale. Grasshopper protein on a commercial scale. Um, that is just excellent and fascinating. So I have to know, how does one get into the business of producing grasshopper protein? Well, I have a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is, I'm an accountant. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right, and that's yeah. the end of our episode. Thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. <laughs> that's all we need to know. <laughs> if you want someone to think outside of the box, talk to an accountant. That's it. That's that's always what I've heard. Accountants yeah. are known for their creativity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> However, uh, I was born in a kibbutz in Israel, and uh, beside the fact that my grandparent, my grandfather was the chairman of the kibbutz and established two food companies and my grandmother was the cook of the kibbutz and taught me from a young age how to cook for thousands of people, they used to tell me stories about the 1950s in Israel. At that point of time, Israel suffered from locust swarms flying in from Africa, destroying the crops, while the country suffered from food insecurity. So the kibbutz members used to run to the fields to make a lot of noise and scare the grasshoppers away. At the same time, they saw other Jews, Yemenite and Moroccan Jews, coming to the same fields, collecting tons of grasshoppers and eating them. So as a very young boy, I learned that grasshoppers are food for many and that they are the only kosher insect there is. Fast forwarding 35 plus years into the future, I'm a serial entrepreneur for food and nutrition. I'm tackling the protein challenge and I'm re realizing that I know the solution. I remember it from my childhood. And, and that was the click for me. Okay, when you say protein challenge, what was this? Was this an official challenge or just a general problem? It's a general concept. Um, okay. I, in recent years, you can hear about it more and more. Um, according to predictions of uh, the UN and the World Bank and governments, the demand for protein is expected to double over the coming decades. And the problem is that existing protein sources are reaching their limitations. Animal-based protein is helpful to the environment, and plant-based protein is not as healthy as we need it to be. So what we can see around us in recent years is a race to develop alternative protein sources that will be healthier for humans and healthier for the environment. And we can talk about cultured meat or uh, algae, and we can talk about insects. Because I believe that insects in general, and grasshoppers in particular, are probably the best solution out there. Wow. Okay. So when you say that vegetarian or vegan or plant-based uh, protein, I guess I should say, plant-based protein is unhealthy, what, what do you mean by that? Well, it depends on each one of the plants, but some of them do not contain all the essential amino acids that we, we need. Some of them, most of them require heavy processing to extract the proteins and provide it to us, to us concentrated. Uh, some of them have lower uh, digestibility rate 
uh, in our bodies. Some of them contain hormones or um, allergens that can hurt us. So eventually, plant-based protein is not as healthy and sustainable as it seems from, from day one. Let me give you an example. Today, we talk a lot, we hear a lot about uh, impossible foods and beyond meat that offer right. us a meat-like product, a sausage or a hamburger that is plant-based. So yes, what's the story behind scary. it? Why do we need it? So we can say, well, it's more sustainable or it's healthier, but probably it's not because we are replacing a single ingredient product like beef with a 17 long uh, ingredient list that is highly processed. Some of the ingredients are genetically modified in order for us to feel and think that we're eating meat. So I'm not sure it's healthier. I'm not sure it's more sustainable. Probably not. And you can see what uh, John Mackey said from Whole Foods Market about a year ago. He said, we were the first one to put them on the shelves and we are the first one to take them off the shelves because we will not serve unhealthy food products to our customers. Ooh, so I didn't hear about that last it. part. Yeah, and, and, and the last part is they can still claim that they're not killing animals in the process, which is also a good thing. But I'm not sure they're correct on that. Yes, they're not uh -oh. killing cows or chickens, but how many insects did they kill in the process? Because in order to grow all those plants, farmers have to use pesticides and fertilizers to kill the insects that come to eat the plants. So they killed billions and trillions of insects in a nasty way. Those insects or those natural resources were just being wasted. And at the same time, they contaminated the soil and the water sources. Right. So and this is a, this is assuming that it's it's made, not organic, right? Which of course I don't think impossible is organic. So they're they might be using those horrible pesticides, right? Also with organic, organic farmers yeah. do use pesticides and fertilizers, different ones. One. Yeah. yeah, natural right. one. But still, the goal is to kill the insects. By the way, we need to do it right. because plants without the protection of pesticides develop their own ways to protect. And those mm. ways can be also uh, poisonous to us. So eating oh, right. plants that did not have any protection is not healthier for us. It's really interesting mm. that, that issue. And, and when you look at insects, uh, and let's talk about our grasshoppers, we grow the grasshoppers and their feed with no pesticides yeah. and no fertilizers because they will be the first one to die. Second thing, we use 100% of what we grow, both the feed and the grasshoppers. 100% of the animal is edible. Nothing goes to waste. Mm. And even the way we harvest them is at the end is done in a humane way. These are cold blood creatures. We drop the temperature, they fall asleep, and only then we collect them and freeze them. So, so there is no stress in the process for the animals. And this is done according to the European Union minimal harm done to animals policy. So I'm claiming that our grasshoppers are more humane to, to as a protein source than any plant-based protein out there. So wow. uh, it sounds like a joke, but you know, if you think about it, I'm calling vegans and vegetarians. Come on, guys, it's time for you to open your eyes and become more aware <laughs> of the environment. You're hurting us. I love it. Oh, this is wonderful. Wonderful stuff. So the feed in this case, as I'm looking behind you, I see, what is that, grass? It's grass wheat is grass. the feed? Wheat yeah, grass. wheat grass. Okay. And when you but say you use it, do you use it as in like you make wheat grass juice, you sell it to people, or you use it just put it back into the farm itself? Well, have you ever tasted wheat grass fresh like this, not, not in form of a juice? I mean, I've had a juice that came from them, you know, blending it in front of my eyes. At places like yeah. Whole Foods, they do that. It's not the same thing. Uh, okay. The juice is not that tasty. The, the wheat no, grass it's not. Juice. It's horrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Exactly. Why do that? Try the wheat, the, the, the grass itself. It tastes amazing. It's sweet. It's so good. So okay. you take a, a very tasty product and you just destroy it in the form of a juice. You also lose okay. much of the nutrients because of that process. So it doesn't make sense. However, I must say, I don't think our body can digest so much grass. We, we're not built to that. Okay. We're not really grazing animals. Right. Uh, but this is the feed that we provide to the grasshoppers. Um, 
they finish it in one day and on a daily basis we serve it to them. So you can understand that we're serving them high quality feed that is also relatively expensive. Right. So, but okay. This is so, what we're doing. But this is mm-hmm. what we're doing today. Uh, the, the grasshoppers get all the nutrients and all the water from the wheat grass. And this provides this, the, the result is a very high quality grasshopper. However, we're thinking about large scale operation and becoming much more efficient than any other protein source in the world. So we are developing grasshoppers that can feed on dry feed. And this is, this is very interesting and, and, and also very tricky. First, you need to take an animal that is used to eating, eating only fresh grass and teach it how to eat something that is dry. And we managed to do it. They started eating the dry feed. But now you have a new problem. They need water. So we taught them how to drink water from an outer source. Um, let me tell you what's the, and, and of course, this is not just teaching new grasshoppers every time. It's about developing a new genetic line of grasshoppers that can feed on dry feed and still provide all the health benefits and nutrients that the regular grasshoppers do. And after six generation, I can tell you, we are there. We got it. Uh, we are still developing six it. Generation. It will take us at least two more years before we will be able to deploy it on the commercial farm, but we are getting there. But the impact is unbelievable because the cost of the dry feed is 3% of the cost of the wheatgrass. Oh, wow. Okay. So at this point, I, I, I have to back up a little bit here because this is the point yeah. where I... So you have an idea. You say, you know what? There's a protein problem in the world. And I remember from childhood that grasshoppers can be eaten. That part I understand. So what is the next step from from this idea to I'm going to build a business doing this. How how did you literally start this thing? Well, I was sitting on the balcony at home trying to mm-hmm. figure out where this new alternative protein source will come from. And I realized, well, grasshoppers are amazing. But the next understanding was who will eat those? I don't know anyone in Europe or the US that will be willing to pay for the grasshoppers and eat them. And... There is a company in Israel that did 40 years ago something that today sounds very conventional. And they made schnitzel made of plants. The name of the company is Tivol. It is not, today, it is, today it is owned by Nestle. And that's their global, uh, it's not the brand anymore, but that's the global company that is producing for Nestle meat replacement products based on plants. So I looked at what they were doing and I said, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to take the grasshoppers and turn them into schnitzels where the, when the customers will not be able to tell that they have insects inside. And I said, well, I also got the name for it. I will call it Steak Tsar Tsar. Now, that's a joke that only the Hebrew listeners will understand because oh, okay. Steak Tsar Tsar, you know what it means. But yes. Steak Tsar Tsar, Tsar Tsar in Hebrew means crickets. No, Steak, well, that is a great pun. I love puns. That's wonderful. Yeah, but th- that was good for the Israeli audience. However, when we got yeah. the first investors from the U.S., they said, listen, we, d- we cannot pronounce Tsar You have to come up with a new name. And mm. I came back to them with Hargol, which actually also is also a joke on their expense because in Hebrew, it's Hargol, which is another word that the American customer will not be able to say. Uh, the story behind that name, just which, to share with which you, means, that's, yeah. it means... That's the name of the kosher grasshopper from the Bible. On Leviticus, uh-huh. it, it says that grasshoppers, chagav, chargol, which, and, and arbe, which means locust, are kosher. On the translation to English, it says grasshoppers, hargol, they kept the word, and locust are kosher. So mm. that's the word in English. We just kept it. Okay. Makes and, sense. And hargol.com was available. And hargol, yeah, of course it would be, right? <laughs> Can't imagine there was a lot of competition. Okay, so you've got this idea. You've, you've come up with a name. But then, uh, you know, did you self-fund this? Did you look for investors? How did you get this thing off the ground? Well, after I had the name and I had a five-slide presentation, pitch presentation, I realized that I have one problem. I know nothing about insects. I don't know how okay. they look. I don't know what's, different, what's the difference between a cricket and a grasshopper. And I can't even grow them. So I went out shopping around Israel to find people that can grow grasshoppers. And 
after two months, I found a guy called Hanan. His name is Hanan Aviv. And this guy for over 30 years has been dreaming that insects are the future of humankind. And he's been growing and breeding tens of species of insects, not only as food, but also as uh, producers of a wide range of materials and so on. And I told him, listen, this is my dream. I want to grow grasshoppers. In five minutes, we were partners. And we also added a third person, Ben Friedman, because we knew that we need someone that understands something in food and nutritional supplement regulation, because that was the goal. And we knew nothing about it. So that was the the basis of of the team. And we started working together, self-funded. Each one of us has his family, children, uh, and for two years, we worked in in Hanan's garage, developing mm. this business. Hanan was growing the grasshoppers. Ben was working on regulation and connections. And I tried to raise funds and was not successful for two years. But wow. after two years, we found the first investors because the protein challenge and insect as a solution started to become a discussion globally. And eventually, we found one investor that was willing not only to hear the story, but to move forward and, and put some money into this venture and we established the company and also at the same time changed the name from Steak Tsar to Hargold. Mm-hmm. So in those two years, what the only thing that had changed was the global culture and the conversation or had you developed something that was a turning point that made the company more investable? It was a combination of several things. Uh, of course, around the world, you saw more and more people talking about the protein challenge and more and more people, but still not many, talking about insects as a solution. The other way around was, uh, the other things that happened were, first, we were able to show a small-scale grasshopper farm concept at Hanan's garage. Small garage with 12,000 grasshoppers hopping around. Uh, (laughs) And the last part was actually something that everyone told us not to do. They told us, stay in stealth mode until you have a product that is ready and then go out to the media and talk to them. And we decided to do something else. We decided to go out to the media and talk to them and share the story because we realized that no one understood what we're doing. And we had to uh, build this awareness and build this acceptance around what we're doing. And we started sharing the story with the media. And it was like a fire, uh, like fire. We just did the first interview. And from that moment on, I think we had for about uh, 40 plus month straight interviews on on international media. And when did this begin? When, what year are we talking here? March, uh, June, uh, 2015. Okay. So five years ago, it just, it started taking off. I mean, it's a pretty unique concept. And a year later, we got the first investor. Okay. Oh, wow. So a year of interviews, and this is in this is after two years of development in a garage. You start doing interview exactly. circuits. So three total years later, oh, no. you get the first uh, investment. No. One year, two years of uh, development and one year yep. in parallel. Yep. Wow. Okay. In parallel. Okay. So you get the first investor. Um, at this point, do you have any idea what kind of package you're going to be putting the grasshoppers into? Because I see on the on your website, you know, it's it's a powder of some kind that you're selling now, right? So was that decided uh, we, at that point, or did that come later? Well, the, um, the thing is, when we look forward, we believe that the powder eventually will be the leading product in the markets. We will not be selling it as a consumer product. We will be selling it as an ingredient to food producers. Mm. Now, when I'm looking forward... There is a huge challenge here, mainly when we're looking at Europe and the U.S. We need to educate consumers that eating insects is healthy for them, healthy for the the environment, and they should change their habits, which is not not an easy task. This is a huge task. I would argue especially here, I think especially in the United States, uh, these kind of changes are... Almost impossible. So I'd love to hear. I mean, in, in Europe, I you know I, I actually lived in Europe for eight years. My wife is European. I lived in the Netherlands for eight years, and the okay. the difference is striking in terms of a willingness to think forward about you know food or sustainability. I mean, 
Uh, here in the United States, it is very much an afterthought um, for the great majority of the country, I've noticed. They just don't care, unfortunately. They should yeah. care, but they don't. So, um, so how well, has like, that part been? Have you made progress? So, I mean, obviously, I understand when you're getting the press, people are like, oh, that's weird. This guy's make, he's eating grasshopper. That's funny. It's like a nice human angle. But at what point did people start taking you seriously enough to think, hey, maybe that's something that I would eat or maybe that's something that I would try? Well, that, that's a great question. Uh, we tried different angles to see what will be the response from consumers in different markets. Let's start by saying that grasshoppers have something that is completely unique to novel products. And that's, they have existing markets. Grasshoppers are the most widely eaten insect in the world. They are considered a, del a delicacy by one over 1 billion people across Asia, Africa, Central America, and the Middle East. Uh, not only they are considered a delicacy, they enjoy very high demand, very high prices. In Mexico, chapulines, that's a national delicacy. They can reach up to $800 per kilogram. In Saudi, $300 per kilogram. Yemen, $480 per kilogram. Uganda, $150 per kilogram. Myanmar, South Korea, Japan, $200 per kilogram, and many, many more. I can give you the names of the grasshoppers in many languages. From Ensenene, Chapulines, Belalang, Inago, Hagav, Jarad, and more. So they have an amazing story behind them. It's a part, it's part of the culture of so many people. So for us, until we build this perception in, in Europe and the US and build the partnerships, which I will talk about soon, we have existing market and we are now targeting those markets. We're selling the whole grasshoppers because I don't need to educate anyone. Today, they base the, the supply in those markets on collection in the wild, which is very limited. Only when the grasshoppers are available, which is about four weeks a year. So yeah. 11 months a year, I'm the only so we are the only source of grasshoppers for them. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. And, and nobody else is doing this. Uh, many, many people tried. Uh, let's take uh, okay. there are many companies that tried to do that and failed along the way. Uh, we know okay. of tens of companies that tried farming grasshoppers on commercial scale. It's not as easy as it looks. You need a lot of luck mm. in the process. Right. Okay, so, wh so what what are some of the challenges then that make it hard for other people to come in? Well, first challenge is uh, to be able to acclimatize local grasshoppers. You need to go out to the wild, collect thousands of grasshoppers and try to acclimatize them. You have to find the right conditions, temperature, temperature humidity, photoperioda, uh, structure that, requ uh, that they require, and also feed. So if yeah. you get all that right at a high quality, eventually you will have grasshoppers that will start breeding and lay eggs. The next challenge is to know how they lay eggs and where, how you collect the eggs from that. That's not easy. Some of them lay eggs in the in, in in soil. Some of them lay eggs in plants. So it's completely different from one grasshopper species to another. Next step, another challenge. Eggs usually stay in the ground or where they were laid for 40 weeks. They have one cycle a year. And you can't okay. be your business of that. So you have to be right. able to accelerate the incubation period and reduce it. And with Four different species, we were lucky enough to reduce it to two weeks. The meaning is that instead of having one cycle a year, we have over 10 cycles a year with a grasshopper. 40 to two, that's huge. Yeah, actually, uh, this is something that is uh, common to many other insects and also many other grasshoppers. They have a mechanism, the eggs have a mechanism that tells them there is food outside you can hatch. That's a combination of timing with photoperioda, humidity, and light. If you get the parameters right, they will hatch. For example, in Israel, we suffered from five straight years of drought until two years ago. So not many insects hatch. They can stay in the ground for years. Two years ago, after five years of dry, drought, we had a rainy season, a rainy winter. The result was unbelievable. We had bursts of insects all over the country. 
for two weeks, for two weeks in March that year, the entire country was covered by billions of butterflies. It, it was beautiful. It, it, wow. it was the first time this, is, this happened. And we had three different bursts of grasshoppers around the country, in the south, center, and the north, different species. All of them are a result of this set of pollinators. So if you are aware of that mechanism and you can manipulate it, you can make them hatch earlier. Hmm. So cool. So who, who were the first customers that you started to get? Was it the people with the whole grasshoppers? Was, or when did that start happening? When did you start making sales? Well, if we're talking about the whole grasshoppers, this is something relative new, relatively new uh-huh. for us. Uh, okay. We decided to focus on those markets until we build the relationships in the developed markets. We mm-hmm. already have distributors in Mexico, uh, the Gulf region, the Persian Gulf region, and in Asia. And we expect to sign first deals uh, by January. So in the coming three to four weeks. Okay. However, and this and this is as an ingredient. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, and, and for them, we sell the whole grasshopper as a product. You can find it in markets, and that's it. It's very simple for us. However, uh, during 2020, we launched a line of products in the U.S., mainly to test the, the water, to see how we can overcome the yak factor and show the market that you can sell grasshoppers in the U.S. as food and also show the market that you can do a wide range of food applications based on it. So... To do that, and this usually, this is primarily so in the U.S. The only thought is as an ingredient, you know, tuck it away in something else. It's not like something that I'm going to make a protein shake out of. Do you have that option? Because that's kind of what it looks like. It's like a chocolate worse. flavored, even worse. Even worse. Let me tell you. Okay. When, oh, the God. thing is, when you when you're looking at launching a new product, you usually look at the early adopters. You try you try to identify early adopters. That uh, will that the greatest challenges, mainly the yak factors, will not be an issue anymore with them. And when you when we anal- we analyze the market and we decided that one of the niches is pretty pretty clear. Athletes, athletes are always seeking new uh, ingredients, new proteins that will improve their performance. And mm. we already have NBA players and major league players that tried our products. Whole grasshoppers oh, and wow. powders and products based okay. on them. However, sports applications is a highly competitive category. And in order to penetrate it and have a significant market share, you need to invest so much money in marketing. Yeah. It doesn't make sense for a startup at this point of time. And we right. looked at other categories as well. But then we found something that is completely different. Because usually when you look at Early adopters, you're thinking about the young age, the teenagers, uh, uh, the young population. But we realized that actually the 70-plus-year-old could be the early adopters for us. Get out of the here. Thing is, yeah, why not? Listen, you have to think outside of the box. The grasshoppers have an amazing biblical story. It's the only insect that is mentioned in the Bible as kosher. The only insect that is mentioned in the Quran as halal. And the only insect that is mentioned in the New Testament as food, because grasshoppers were the food of John the Baptist. He used to eat grasshoppers with honey. So we took that story and we developed a line of food products based on it. You had grasshoppers, honey, and other ingredients that came from the Bible. We called it biblical protein. And we <laughs> sold it to Christians around the U.S. We talked to pastors. And we talked to many others, and yeah. the reactions were amazing. You can Google no biblical way. protein, and you'll find photos of people eating their first grasshopper or yeah. recipes that they made with it or videos of them eating the first grasshoppers. So we got a lot of traction on social media. And I can share with you, this is unbelievable. 60% of the sales were of whole grasshoppers. 60%. People said, okay. okay, we got the concept. We we understand. We want to try the real thing. Okay. And, the and are they cooking were, these up? Or are you like are you frying it up? Or how 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 are you eating this? You putting some some oil in a pan and frying them up and then that's it? Just crunchy little sides or well, 
That would be the perfect way. That's the way most of the world is cooking grasshoppers. Okay. However, we wanted sure. to keep things as simple as possible. So what we did, we just dried the grasshoppers in an oven, not, not really roasting them because it was a really low temperature, about 50 degrees Celsius, uh, which means that you can call the product raw food still. Uh, and we just dried, it, dried them, put them in a jar, and we sold the jars ready to eat grasshoppers and you can just pick one and put it in your mouth and eat it and it tastes good you like the taste it tastes fine it, it, it tastes you know fine. They, have, they have almost neutral taste and flavor so okay. actually there is no significant taste they, they are a little like bit tofu. salty so they remind you of yeah. like chips very dry product okay so, but you know, you put some salt on it, and it's like a chip. It's there's nothing offensive or weird about the taste. No, uh, okay. As, as long as you overcome your mind, which the, is not an easy effect. thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, yeah. well, you know, uh, it's, it's something that it's interesting. Us, yeah, uh, was that some of the customers took those grasshoppers as a whole and did something that we never expected. They added them to a to recipes. And they started sharing recipes based on our grasshoppers. So you can find online salads, main courses, desserts with the whole grasshoppers in them. So in salads, you can look at them as croutons. But then someone published a cheesecake with grasshoppers on it. Could you believe that? No. No, I can't. But I'm very, very curious about this now. You know, it's interesting. My my, my wife and I, we are... uh predominantly uh, vegan and vegetarian, actually. We do eat uh, fish from time to time. We never we never eat meat, haven't eaten meat in probably about eight years or maybe 10 years now. But, you know, I actually, this is something that I think I would try because I'm very interested in the future of this stuff, you know. I, I think I would absolutely like to know <laughs> what it tastes like for sure. It's It's fascinating. And and how much protein are we talking about here for per serving compared to something else, compared to meat or a steak or whatever? Well, let's do the comparison. Grasshoppers okay. are like concentrated protein. Usually when you okay. go out to a store and you buy these grass these protein shakes, if you'll find a product with 70% protein, it will say sorry, concentrated protein because it has to be a processed product. Our grasshoppers mm. contain over 70% pro- uh, protein as they are. Actually, the last cycles were 72 and 73%. So it's a really protein-dense product, whole, uh, all essential amino acids, and also nutrient-rich. They contain omega-3, omega-6, iron, zinc, folic acid, calcium, and vitamins. Uh, so you eat the product as it is. Now, to compare it to beef, the daily protein intake for an adult in beef is about 200 grams of steaks almost one pound in grasshoppers grasshopper powder that's three spoons three spoons is enough that concentrated and okay when you have the powder though are you blending this with water or (laughs) almond milk or what well the cool powder uh will not work well with water because it's not soluble okay it likes oh, putting, it's like putting sand in water, which is not like a good nutritional thing to yeast see. or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, okay. it doesn't look good. So we have two options. One is you can take the, the powder and you can blend it into smoothies or salads mm-hmm. or bake. Uh, just add it to the food and, and consume it, which is really nice because it's mm-hmm. almost neutral in taste and flavor. It will not impact the, the flavors that you're enjoying. That's a huge advantage. This is how we did the. Uh, prototypes of hamburgers and sausages with a protein boost from grasshoppers. We do have a joint venture with Israel's uh, largest food producer, Nuva. Uh, and with them, we are developing a specific line of product for athletes. And we do have a soluble grasshopper powder, vanilla flavored, uh, that okay. is ready for market. And we expect to launch yes. it on the first half of 2021. Wow. I will. I, I can't wait to see this update. I'm very curious. I'll circle back for sure next year. That's uh, too fascinating. Um, now, obviously, if I'm looking behind you at your beautiful green screen, um, is that your current facility behind you, or have you expanded? What kind of what does the operation look like today? 
That's one of our facilities. That's the first production facility, a fattening facility uh, in northern Israel. Um, and in, in such a facility today, we are producing 20 million grasshoppers annually. And as we are moving forward, we are improving our protocols. So this farm next year will be able to produce over 50 million grasshoppers annually. Can you describe to me what is the sound of that many grasshoppers? That will be a shock to you. Uh, you, you need to, to think not deafening? only about you sound, but earplugs? also about... No. Super okay. quiet. Super uh, quiet. When you, you think about the noise, those are crickets. Those are crickets. Are crickets yeah, I was, as, as I said it, noises. I was like, yeah, you dumbass. <laughs> okay, so the, it's super so, quiet. So uh, 20 million, just nothing, just rustling of leaves. Exactly. What he, the only sound you hear from the grasshoppers is when one of our employees is walking through the cages, disturbing them. So they start jumping. So you hear the jumps, but nothing more than that. Oh my goodness. That but let's is talk too about much. the smell. Yeah, please. You know, uh, have you ever been to a chicken coop? You know, I mean, I sure, uh, once or twice, how but not recently. Not good. But how was the smell? Not good. If you go yeah. to a cricket farm or a midwife oh, farm or a fly or a flies farm, and you can find yeah. those in the US, yeah, they smell worse than chicken coops. The smell okay. is that nice. Yeah. If you go to a farm, this it smells like a greenhouse. And that's because several reasons. One is grasshoppers are peak eaters, they eat the fresh grass and not any organic matter. Second thing. That's the, the cage technology that we developed that removes the feces of the grasshoppers from the cages and at the same time keep well-ventilated environments. So we are controlling the humidity and the feces. When you don't have accumulation of humidity and feces, you don't have the release of ammonia and the smell is really nice. The smell is really nice. So it's, not, it's, it's positive. You like being in that environment or is it just not bad? No, it's 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 perfectly it's nice. nice. It's it's really okay. nice. You can we, yeah. we joke that between cycles we have one week of uh sanitation of the rooms. So we can say we, we joke uh, that the farm is located in a perfect location on the Galil uh mountains. So we're thinking about renting those rooms to uh for vacation for people. It's it's a great yeah. environment, so quiet, so clean. You could you could sell it as a spa treatment for Californians, maybe movie uh, stars, actors, actresses. You can say experience the healing properties of grasshopper smell and air. That that you might be Absol able to sell. Absolutely, but but for them, I will add the crickets um, because <laughs> you need a couple crickets. I, I I've been to a, a very small facility where they had seventy thousand crickets in. Oh and the God. sound is not strong. The sound is really, really mild. And I must tell you, it is relaxing. So try to uh -huh. imagine a farm with millions of crickets making these uh, these sounds. So replace at the spot the uh, whale singing or, or uh, ocean waves. Just listen right. to crickets. Oh, my God. Because I, I, I would imagine that it would be like deafening, like listening to a jet engine. Because one of them is so loud. No, no. They, they start making noises only when they breed. And this is a fattening okay. farm. They never get breeding. Ah. In the breeding facility, they do make noise, but it's, it's, it's not much. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let me ask you then, what, what is the day-to-day, -day, what does a day in your life look like right now? Well, uh, since I'm managing the company, uh, every day is a chaos from talking to investors, raising funds, talking to the media, more and more interviews. We get interviews day, almost on a daily basis. And how many employees managing do you have? the company. We have 22 employees? employees. Okay, so growing. 22 yeah. employees. And, but, uh, and we are growing. Uh, I think the, most, the thing that I'm most excited about is the fact that from day one, we set a goal that our company will have at least 15% of our workforce persons with disabilities. Oh, wow. Nice. And and that's a huge challenge for a startup. It's not easy to bring them in. Uh, and we had some challenges on the first year, 
but we got it right. And uh, actually, the plan for next year is to establish two more farms. So we will scale up significantly. Okay. And we probably will, will increase the, the, the goal from 15% to 30% persons of disabilities because of that. Okay. So that's also very exciting for us. Yeah, that's wonderful. Great initiative. And have you personally, I'm assuming at this point, you have quit eating meat. You only eat grasshoppers for your protein, right? Well, I, 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 the thing is this. <laughs> I believe that eventually we have to have a mixed diet. You don't have, okay. you, you, you shouldn't base your diet on a single source of nutrients or protein. Yes. So I'm eating plants, I'm eating meat, I'm eating okay. insects as well. And I believe that eventually the humankind diet will be based on a mixed diet like that. Yep. Do you um, do you see yourself ever stopping eating traditional meat sources? Um, I don't know if it will be completely stopping eating them, but absolutely we are we are at home. We are reducing the amount of meat that we are eating. We're not eating meat on a daily basis anymore. Um, yeah. I think almost half of the week we're not eating meat at home anymore. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Well, that's very exciting. Um, man, this is really, really fascinating. Well, what, what, what would your next, what's your next goal then? Um, two main goals. One yeah. is to uh, start distributing the products, the, the whole grasshoppers in existing markets. You may say we're starting to feed the third world where they eat mm. grasshoppers and that's on its own a huge task and huge goal and, and, and vision uh, on the other hand we are working uh, hand in hand with leading food producers in order to build joint ventures and develop manufacture and distribute eventually food products based on our uh, unique animal or unique ingredient we have one joint venture that is already signed we have a few exciting joint ventures that are getting very close to be signed. Big names from the U.S., Europe, and Asia. And um, I think that the next couple of years will be super exciting for the company. Wow. So you are very optimistic about the future, it sounds like. Uh, much more than I can say. I don't want to sound like okay. a, someone that is dreaming too much. But, you know, you said, yeah. how can we educate U.S. consumers, but well, yes. you know, once COVID-19 will be over, I'm, I'm urging you to go to the Seattle Mariners ballpark because for the yeah. last three seasons, they've been serving whole roasted chapulines from Mexico as a snack. And it was... Is that right? Uh, yeah. And they sold... And people everything. are buying this. No way. My brother lives in Seattle. That's fast. Okay. Ask him. So Ask him about he chapulines must. at the Mariners games. He will know, he'll know for sure. He loves going to baseball games. Yeah. Um, so, so it's already uh, catching on in some yeah, small uh, way. Exactly. And, and PepsiCo announced that they will, that they're already trying, uh, Doritos with insect protein. Um, and Ikea announced that they will replace the beef in their meatballs in to the insects meatballs? and plants. Yeah. So the world, when, when will they be it, doing that? When, uh, they're still developing the product. I, I'm not sure. I okay. think next year they're supposed to launch the product. And and you probably are familiar with the brand a President's Choice. Um, again, sounds Maybe, familiar. Mainly in Canada, you can find them. President's Choice. That's that's okay. a really known brand. Uh, sure. They've been serving insect-based products uh, under their brand. So that's okay. very impressive as well. In Europe, you can find it in Carrefour. Um, yeah. and many other uh, retail chains. You can find uh, insect-based products already. And so can you find your product in Carrefour and all of those? Because that, that for those who are in America, that's like the, I don't want to say the Walmart, but they're the massive grocery stores of Europe, if you haven't uh, heard of that. So are, are, is your product for sale on the shelf there? Uh, not yet, because our strategy, as I said, is mainly focused on existing markets. Yeah. Uh, it generates much higher uh, margins for us at the moment. Okay, makes sense. This is super, super, super cool. Um, so, all right, I'm going to ask a, a couple of slightly different questions. We're going to go in a little bit of a speed round here, if you're ready for it. Um, yeah. So, 
I would say, first question is, do you read books? If so, how much? And do you read for pleasure or for personal development? I used to read a lot of books uh, before mm -hmm. I got into this venture. But uh, today I'm working almost 20, 22 hours a day, so I don't have time to read books. The only books I read is the books I read to my kids now. But 20, 22 hours a day? You're I'm, working I'm 20 getting, hours a day. I'm getting to 22 hours days easily, yeah, many times. Oh, my God. So how, how many hours do you sleep on average per night? Um, usually, uh, the average could get to about four hours, but I get weeks of two hours on average. Okay, so, so all right, here, here is a question that I have. This is a good question because... I, you know, I love watching entrepreneur stories and reading biographies, autobiographies, success books, all of that. And I, in my mind, there are two types of people in this world. There are people who apparently don't need sleep. And then there are people who need sleep. I've always had a theory that if you're not one of these magical freaks that can just live on no sleep, that it's it's almost impossible. Like for me, like my brain starts shutting down if I have two out three hours. I have you know I have a two year old kid, so enough hours, enough days of not sleep, and I I become stupid. I can't think anymore. So do you believe that there is just a group of people on the planet that don't need as much sleep? Well, probably there are, but I think it's a mental issue. It's about mm. making the decision if you can do it or not. So mm. it's like the question, can anyone run a marathon under three hours? Yeah. So it's the same question because right. physically and mentally, it's a combination that I believe anyone can do. But the yeah. mental mm. issue is a big issue because mm. people have to train for one year at least to get to that mark. And not many people can do that day after day. Mm. So all of us can do it, but not all of us can stick to it. Uh, so eventually, it's just the decision you make and you stick to it. Uh, when I'm getting tired, I'm finding something that will stimulate me and I can yeah. go on for a few more hours. Uh, I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not telling you it's healthy. It's super yeah. unhealthy, but it okay. is what it is. You, you can do You can move forward without investing that those resources. Now, Another thing I will add, you said uh, you read about entrepreneurs. Usually you read about the success stories. Right. You don't hear about the problems behind it. No. And I think it's a good thing because if people will know what entrepreneurs are going through, what are the challenges, challenges on a daily basis, it's yeah. not about the exits. It's not about the success. It's about moving forward when you fail on a daily basis. And yes. that's the main story of, of entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs that made it did not have success all the way. They failed right. many more times. Right. They failed. Yeah, we, well, you know, it's I, I've been training for two and a half years now at no sleep with my daughter. <laughs> she, since she was born, I've been training. I still feel like crap. <laughs> so I'm not there yet. <laughs> By the way, that's, that's parenting. That's parenting. You do not that's sleep parenting. as a parent. No. It's uh, I I never in my life imagined how little sleep I'd be getting now, but but I feel that it takes a toll. You know, I'm not as mentally oh. sharp. Like <laughs> that's just this, a fact. this means you're you're a good parent. You're giving whatever oh, you can. You. Your child. <laughs> thank you. By, by the way, is she is she, is she's your first? She's my first. Yes. Okay. So yep. this is someone. This is something. Yeah. That. So this is something someone told me when I had the first child. And I told him, I can't get sleep. I don't know. I don't have free time anymore. And he told me, yeah. wait until you have your second and third one. Then you oh ask yourself, God. what did I do with so much free time when I had one kid? Oh, my God. Don't even. You know, I, it's very important that my wife never hear that. <laughs> she, she, I hope she doesn't listen to this episode. She's already terrified of the idea of ever having a, a second child. And you're not helping. <laughs> oh my goodness okay so aside from no sleep which i commend you for i mean yeah we, uh, healthiness of not sleeping aside uh do you have any daily routines or rituals or any sort of daily spiritual practice that helps you with the grind or just i wake up and i work and i come home and that's that well i think uh there's one ritual that I got so used to, I'm not even feeling it. 
But when I'm talking to people, they tell me, you're doing that all the time. I'm the optimistic person. I'm the one carrying the flag and moving forward every day. Doesn't matter what's going on, how bad things are, and they get really bad sometimes. Sure. I'm always optimistic. Not only that things will get better, I'm also the one bringing the other opportunities or other solutions. So when things go wrong, people know that I have at least three new solutions to the problem. And this is mm -hmm. a message I'm delivering all the time, carrying all this mm -hmm. company and team behind me and investors mm -hmm. and partners. So that's my message to everyone. We're going to make it. And we have so many opportunities. One of them will work eventually. So you would say you're just a, a solution-oriented person. You, you train yourself. You don't think in terms of what's wrong. You think in terms of how can we overcome the problems. Exactly. Wow. So I, I'm always fascinated. So, you know, for anybody out there who wants to start a business that can change the world. I mean, for me personally, I, I don't know if you have read uh, Marcus Aurelius or um, I'm a big fan of Stoic philosophy. I think it's wonderful stuff just for life. And, you know, one of his quotes that I really enjoy is, uh, bear in mind that the measure of a man or woman is the worth of the things he or she cares about. And I think that's such a profound and deep quote. It's not about what you achieve. Basically, his whole point is that celebrity and fame, these are empty things that mean nothing. So that's a stupid thing to pursue. But I think by that logic, pursuing alternative food sources, solving the challenge of protein shortages, that is something that is a very noble goal, in my opinion. Or if you think of like, uh, you know, Tesla or uh, what Elon Musk is doing, you know, like sustainable energy or cars. So if there are people out there who recognize that we have some major problems that the earth is facing right now, tons of problems, food, energy, all of that, and they want to do something entrepreneurial about it, how, how do you advise that somebody get started forming a business around something that actually matters? Well, I, I, I completely agree with what you said. And I, I would say that what's, what is actually an entrepreneur? That's, that's the question. And mm -hmm. man, most people think that's the guy that come up with the ideas. And that's completely wrong. An entrepreneur is not the guy that come up with the idea. Elon Musk did not come up with the idea of uh, an electrical car, electric car. Mm. He was not the first. Yeah. An entrepreneur is the guy that goes out and do something with it. Mm. So that's the difference. Now, when you go out and do something, you need the drive. You need the, 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 you need the, the energy behind you. For me, as you said, making an impact on environment, on, 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 on the uh, population is good enough to have the drive to work as, as much time as I need. So yeah. for me, it is mainly about, and this is the original, the original of my grandparents that worked in food and nutrition. So for me, it's about improving the health of children and families through better nutrition. So I know that grasshoppers are an amazing solution that can feed a hungry world, the third world, or replace unhealthy, unsustainable food products in the developed world. And that's big enough for me. That's wonderful. And, and I think along those lines, another question that I would have is people who are observant and read and who you know, pay attention to what's happening in the world, you see tons of different problems that you could solve. If you're entrepreneurial, you say, okay, well, hey, we, we've got a bunch of single-use plastic waste. You know, we, we've got gas in our car. We've got all of these issues that some people in the world ignore. But if you notice these problems and you care, you want to solve them. How do you decide which of these avenues you want to pursue? Like, you could have started a business doing anything that would have helped. How do you say, like, okay, no, I'm not going to fix the plastic problem or the garbage problem or the clean energy problem. I'm going to fix this problem, the food, the protein problem, sustainability. Any advice there? Sure. Well, first, let me tell you that um, about a, li a little over 20 years ago, I was nominated as head of, head of strategy planning 
for Cellcom, the leading mobile operator in Israel. And you know, I, I was a little bit younger than today and I was really excited about the new job, but I knew nothing about strategy. So I went out and read a lot about what is strategy. And nothing really ex, uh, convinced me that I know what strategy is. Until I read one headline that said, strategy is opportunities occur to the ready mind. Now, this, this is an amazing line, and it relates exactly to what you said. Because the opportunities, the problems around us are infinite. The thing mm-hmm. is, we need to open our mind and be able to see them and then the problems and see that there are opportunities to solve them and develop a business around them. Now, the next thing that we need to do is also open our mind to ourselves and understand what's really motivating us, what makes us happy, what makes us energized. If you can combine the both, I think you got your business, your venture. So try to think what motivates you, what really makes you get up in the morning and do this hard work and tackle all the problems no one else managed to do. And this this will be your venture. Sounds fascinating. Yeah, because there's always an element I've felt of randomness to what entrepreneurs do, you know, because it's like, it always, it's like, if you look at the past, it seems totally logical, but it's like, why did he or she open a laundromat when they could have opened it? You know, it's, there's always a choice that's made. And it's always interesting to me, like, why that choice? Why, why this problem? Why this solution? And, and then to your point, the dedication to live with that choice for 10 15, 20 years and say, you know what? For 20 years of my life, grasshoppers are going to be my life. Insane. <laughs> and maybe you branch out, maybe you don't. But that's, you know, I think I've always personally struggled with those kinds of things because when I see all these opportunities, it's very hard for me to, to select one and say, okay, I'm shutting out the other 99% of things. I mean, that's, that's always been an issue that I personally have had. Maybe maybe it's because you did not find your solution or problem that will fit you yeah. yet. Yeah. But the moment you'll find it, the next challenge is to block your mind. After you open your mind, you have to block your mind and you have to remain focused on what you're doing. Because if you start looking at other problems, you will lose your way. You have to yeah. remain focused. So it's like getting up in the morning. I, I could bring one of my sons in and he will tell you, how how I sounds like they they really like to imitate me and they say grasshoppers blah 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 grasshoppers blah 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 grasshoppers <laughs> so that's that's me talking all yeah. day that's your life so yeah. remaining focused yes that's so funny well do do you feel on a personal level successful right now or do you feel you're not quite there yet both. Uh, but okay. I'm not focused on the success. I'm focused on yeah. where, where I want to get to. So we had a lot of success. Just for an example, as an example, we won 16 inno- international innovation competitions. I'm talking about first places in significant competitions with significant yeah. amounts of, of funds coming in. Congratulations. So it's, it's amazing. Wow. 16, it's yes. a lot. Yes. Uh, one of them from the Israeli president. Uh, uh, we, we were chosen earlier this year as the company that changed the world in Israel, number one. So that's incredible. It's, it's a huge success. But for me, it's, it's nothing because I know where I want to get. So it's just yeah. another step along the way. Okay. And, and where do you want to get? What, what would be a smashing success in 15 years? Having you eating grasshoppers. Having me, okay, well, that's, you know, that's I'm enough. not one by one. I'll say I'm open to it one by one. Okay. But consumers then basically it be yes. in 15 years, everybody knows about it. It's normalized. Nobody thinks that it's weird anymore. People say, oh yeah, of course it makes sense. And it, it could, it can happen. Let, let's take a look at the raw fish. Yeah. Let's go back to the 1980s in the U.S., no so true. I know where you're going fish. with this. Yeah, sushi and was... And you know ugh. that sushi is all over us. Right. Exactly. That's true. It happened real fast. That's a great point. It, it yeah. swept the globe so fast. Well, you know, and, of and course, you know like as... Mm-hmm. What's exciting about sushi is that 
almost everyone remembers the first time they had sushi. Mm. It's like a they huge do, experience. Yeah. I'm eating raw fish. I I'm remember. eating sushi. Yeah, so I remember it, it well. Yeah. The, so, and, and believe me, everyone remembers the first time they ate grasshoppers. I'm sure I would remember that too. I'm sure I'd remember that. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because like, I think those of us who are more food conscious, and this probably applies to vegans and vegetarians more because I, I think that people who make those kinds of lifestyle choices, like it's, it's not easy to be a vegan or vegetarian. So to do it, you have to be committed to a greater ideal. You know, it started when my wife and I, you know, we watched some, some documentaries, we read some books like the China study, and we're like, oh, hey, maybe there's, maybe there's something we should be thinking about here. Maybe we shouldn't just eat McDonald's because everybody in my family ate McDonald's forever. You know, maybe we should do something about this. And, and it takes effort to do that. So I think, you know, perhaps some vegans and vegetarians are more food conscious and they're more open to alternative solutions. But one thing that I've always noticed is it's just this extreme double standard that regular people have where it's like their dog, they would do anything for their dog. They would do anything for their dog or their cat and they would never kill a mouse or they're, they're just super protective of animals around them. And then you show them a factory farm where just millions of animals are being slaughtered in the most brutal, awful way possible, you know, and it, 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 it's just this horrible thing. And it's like, oh, but, you know, we don't think about that. I just eat my hamburger and I pet my dog, you know, it's like they're not connected, exactly. but they're still animals. So it's like, OK, fine. You're not. You're clearly not connecting. So from my perspective, anybody that eats a hamburger or eats meat should have no problem eating a grasshopper. What's the difference, right? If anything, you should be happy to eat a grasshopper. There's nothing like fundamentally weird about it. Not in my opinion, anyways. But then, right? then you have the double standard and, and you, don't get it. you don't get there. Uh, let me tell you, yes. uh, we did a survey at Whole Foods Market I had yes. a chance to talk to some consumers. You know, among pets, yes. there is a huge epidemic, obesity and also diabetes. It's a Makes huge sense. problem because the food of pets is horrible. This is horrible. one of the most polluting industries in the world because yes. they use animal-based food. Right. And you know what? What's, what's the natural food of pets? Grasshoppers. Cats, dogs, reptiles, lizards, snakes, spiders—all yeah. those guys eat, and birds. They they all eat grasshoppers. Yes. So I and, and and we know from the research we are doing that a diet based on grasshopper protein for animals improves their metabolism, reducing sugar levels, so they can prevent yeah. diabetes and they reduce body yeah. fat. So we have yeah. the original food of pets that can solve all the problems of the industry, including the pollution. Yeah. Yeah, and I started. We started talking to pet owners in the U.S. Yep. and we told them, "Listen, this is the natural food for your pet, and it will make it will make your cat or dog healthier." And they said, yep. "That's disgusting. I will never get my cat insects to it because they think yeah. about themselves eating them." Right. And right. I'm telling them, "Listen, you're feeding them poison. You're killing your cat." Right. So that's fine. Yeah. They're not going to eat something so as disgusting. long as it comes in a can. As long as it has nice packaging, I don't care, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they say, I don't know, I, I heard once that having a cat is the equivalent of having a small truck per year, you know, in terms of emissions and whatnot. Um, so it's it's bad. I have two cats, but I'm pretty sure that, that whenever, when they die, they're rescue cats, by the way, so at least that's good. We didn't get them from a pet store, but I think when they, uh, when they die, I don't think we'll replace them. I think, you know, I think it was wonderful to have them, but I don't, I don't think I'll be getting new cats. We'll see. Um, because of these reasons. Uh, I wanted to ask, so a couple quick things to, to round it out here. What is the smartest piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, that, that's uh, a lot of them. Uh, I think one of the most important thing is, and I, that would be my advice, and I got it from some other smart people. Um, don't work alone. As an entrepreneur, you are alone, but surround yourself with very smart people, if possible, smarter than you, that will help you uh, make this project work. So for every task over every field of activity, I have very smart people working with us. And I think that's the greatest advice I ever got. That is wonderful advice. Um, and 
Do you have a favorite book recommendation? Um, I have to go with my sons because we just finished Lord, Lord of the Rings for the second time. Oh, wow. You're one of them. I see. Yes. So a, a true fan. Absolutely. A true Tolkien fan. Okay. Awesome. Well, hey, that, there's no doubt that he was a genius. No doubt but, but about my God, that. But, but my sons are much more um, into Tolkien than I am. I, I, oh, the God. Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings were enough for me. They're looking at the yep. other books that he published. Sounds good. Yeah, no, there's, I, I read them when I was much younger, but I know so many people who are just tremendous fans because, you know, he invented languages. It's remarkable what he accomplished. Absolutely. So I have massive respect for him, but I, you know, it's not, I don't live in that world though. I've said this before, but I don't like these old fantasy worlds. That's not my reality. My reality, I like the future. I like the fifth element, the matrix. That's always been stuff that's interested me. But that if it's like, oh, here's an old timey thing in the past with some elves and dwarves, you know, it's like, eh, I don't care about that. I don't care about Game of Thrones or any of that stuff. It's just <laughs> to each their own, right? <laughs> well, um, well um, go ahead. Actually, actually, you could you can use all of them as as motivators. Um, yeah. You know, just um, you know, I'll take a lot. You said metrics. So as an entrepreneur, just remember, there is no spoon. There is no spoon. That's right. <laughs> Mind blown. Boo. <laughs> that, that's in entrepreneur. You work with your mind and you develop something completely new. That's there is no spoon. Mm -hmm. It's just like that. That's excellent. Uh, I think that's a great one to go out on. But before we end this, I wanted to give you the floor here. Anything that you want to say directly to the listeners, anything you want to promote about yourself or direct people to your company or where they can find out more? Well, what I, what I will say is just keep your minds open. Don't take everything as granted. Don't look at the traditional food you eat or things that you hear as, as granted. Ask questions, become more aware of the environment the world and the people that live around you. And I think you'll find life much more interesting and, and funny. And if you really want to open your mind, just go uh, into our website, hargle.com or biblicalprotein.com and yes. order your jar of grasshoppers and enjoy them. Sounds wonderful. And one, 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 one last thing. Do you think that a sense of humor is important in business? Yes or no? For me, absolutely yes. But uh, not many, not some businessmen. Businessmen will not agree with me. But for me, it's part of life. We work hard. We try hard. At least try to have some fun. I completely agree. Well, thank you so much, Dror. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, with that, the official podcast is over. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've been enjoying this show, please like, comment, share, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to me on YouTube. It would mean the world to me. Also, do you have an unusual success story or do you know someone who does? Well, please recommend them to me. They could be a future guest on this show. Maybe they've rolled the largest boulder down the mountains of Tibet. Or maybe they built the world's largest chicken farm in Madagascar. The point is, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm looking for inspiration and unusual success stories. So help me by being a part of this adventure. I'm looking to grow this podcast with you. Thanks again for listening.